morning, everyone. We've just started, as of this last Sunday, um, a short series on worship. And last Sunday, we spoke about the idea that we worship the God that we encounter and how important it is to um, be ready to encounter God but at the same time to get to know Him, to get to, to change by the knowledge of Him. Uh, this morning I just wanted to draw our attention and a little bit more uh, next Sunday as well to our worship as a lifestyle. One of the verses that has been quite um, staggering for me as, as this new year begin, um, has been John 3.30. Uh, when we have got the, and it links very well with what we've been doing in, in December, um, we, we've been talking about Zacharias, talking about the idea of the sunrise coming, that he was going to um, shine the light and he was going to lead us to the way of peace. And here we've got John, and in John chapter 3, there is a dispute between the disciples of John when they see that Jesus is performing miracles and when Jesus is preaching the gospel. So they come back to him and they say, well, what's going on? Um, you are the guy that is preparing the way. You are the guy that is doing all of these things and there is a baptism of John. And they all come worried to him. And here we've got John. I love this passage. We've got John here. And he's trying to try and settle his disciples because he's got a very clear idea of what's going on. He's talking to his disciples about how he, his role has come to the place of completion because he knew very well that the prophecy that his father said as an as a Old Testament prophet was that he was going to point people to this sunrise to this um, deliverer. And then he says, he, he talks to his disciples and he's talking in verse 29. It says, the bride, 20, verse 29 of chapter 3, it says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who pens the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine. And it, now it is complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. Been talking about last Sunday about this idea of worship, and it, this comes straight from John's heart because he has come to the place of recognizing that the sunrise is going to be the center of this ministry of God. And it's not him. He has come to that place where his joy is complete and is fulfilled because the moment for Jesus' ministry to take over has come. So here we've got a, a great act of worship, a great response to what God is doing. Now, with, with this in mind, I just wanted to draw our attention this morning to our worship as a lifestyle. And I've got a question for you, and I've got a question for myself, with a lot of different options. What 
do you worship? Have you got any idols? This question has prompted from the last question of the sermon notes. Thinking ahead of next Sunday theme, worship as a lifestyle, would you agree with the statement, who we are and what we do is determined by our worship? So, the question that I've got for myself and for you as a congregation this morning is, what do you worship? Have you got any kind of idols? Perhaps they're listed there. Perhaps they're not. I will stop in a few of them, and this is not my way of being therapeutic for myself. But I want to stop in them and just address them with things that I have had to deal in my own life. Um, one of the things that has been a big struggle for me in the past has been my own piety. The way where I think that I am a better Christian than you guys. Um, what fueled this more was going to a good Bible school, going to a good um, training, being surrounded with very good Christians, and we came to the point, well, now that I look back, that we were thinking that we were the holiest people on earth. And the rest of the Christian world was just heathen. Because they did not have the particular set of views that we have. So, excited young men come off Bible school, we're going to change the world. It's been a painful journey. And part of this journey is me coming to the UK. Coming to the UK and meeting you guys, but also there have been some, some good instrumental people that not only have challenged me, but have made me to come to the point of saying that actually, and probably has come across many times, and I think that's part of my confession, that I'm not the expert. And I think this is, the, this is one of the areas that um, I worshipped, because I was better, I was holier, I knew the scriptures, I could tear people apart because I was holy and they were not, and I had these set views. And God had to bring me through His grace to come to this idol of my life, my own piety, and to say, God, actually, I am who I am, not because of who I am, but who you are in me. Now, I'll not, as I said, I'll not use this time just for you to say, oh, how good you are and how bad we are, or oh, well done for doing that. This is a journey. It's a gradual journey, and unless I encounter, unless I deal with that majesty of God that we sang, that we claim, I don't think I'm able 
to point out what I have seen here or what I've expressed here. Maybe it's the family. It's the approval of family members. Maybe your idol is achievements. Sex? Time? You've got a very good phrase here. Time is money. Is that an idol? What do you worship? Have you got any of these idols? This is not also a process for you to be thinking, oh, oh dear, one, two, three, four, five, six, this is miserable. This is a place for us to think more that actually when we worship God, that act of worship could be a breakthrough to all of these things. And perhaps other things that you've got to write down on your paper. I just wanted to draw the attention this morning to uh, the passage of the Samaritan woman at the well. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And the story goes like this. Jesus had decided to go somewhere else, leaving Judea, and he's going to go to Galilee. And because of that, he has to pass via Samaria. He goes through Samaria, he came to this town called Sitar, near the plot of ground of Jacob, chapter 4 of John. And then, Jacob's well was there. Jesus says, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour, so it was the afternoon. And the story goes like this, that at the well, there is a Samaritan woman who comes to pick up the water. And Jesus asks her for water. Now it's very clear, the scripture tells us as well, but Historically, the Samaritans don't go well with the Jews. They haven't done well since the time of Ezra, when the Samaritans didn't choose to help Ezra in the new temple. But Jesus is interested to do something special in the life of this Samaritan woman, who probably was despised from her behavior because the story says that she had five men, five husbands, and the person that she was living with now was not her husband. And therefore, she chooses an inconvenient time for the rest of the village to come and pick up water. And she is staggered because she encountered something that she didn't expect. Jesus asks her for water. You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, 
the woman said. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from itself as did his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to grow water again. He told her, Go and call your husband. Woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have five you've had five husbands, and the man you are with now you have is not your husband's. What you have just said is quite true. And then the discussion goes on and moves to something very serious. The area of worship. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that that place were where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has come now when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of the worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says, I who speak to you and he. Interesting story. I would like to tackle this story a little bit differently today. And I don't want to spend at all time on speaking on what happened to this woman because she came to Jesus. But I would like to deal with some issues that have risen from the conversation that this woman has with Jesus, especially on the area of worship. So, worship as a lifestyle, the head against reality. And basically, I'd like for us to think a few minutes about uh, some of the potentials some of the potential ties and negotiations and perhaps areas of compromise that raise from this conversation with this Samaritan woman. One of the negotiations or the compromise that perhaps hinders us from worshipping God is our own history, our own tradition, 
This woman says, are you greater than our father Jacob? You tell us to worship there, we worship here, because we have done this for so many years. And perhaps, I just want to draw an application for us, perhaps our own sad views about this tradition and history hinder us to encounter God and worship Him in His majesty. One other thing that is, it's also our misunderstandings or our ignorance of God. Several times in the story she shows that she doesn't know much of she knows the Torah because that's what the Samaritans knew. But she, she, she's not in that place that John the Baptist is just 15 verses before that. That he has come, he has done, his joy is fulfilled, and he says, I have done my job, I am fulfilled. He may increase and I may decrease. Where she says, well, when the Messiah is going to come, he is going to sort us out. Also, misunderstanding of God in the sense of, well, really, where, where are we supposed to worship? You tell me. Because it's not very clear. I said suspicion there. And perhaps sometimes it is our suspicion about what God is trying to do with our lives that puts us off to worship Him. Do you remember the conversation that she had with Jesus? It's you and us. You and us. It has been like this for so many years. I don't trust you yet. I'm suspicious. I'm a human being. And sometimes when God says, come and taste my living water, come to the well of the living water and be refreshed, what I mentioned earlier, repent and be refreshed. Perhaps it is our suspicion come to that place of saying, God, I want to encounter you because I want to worship you. Which brings me back to my next point. Perhaps a negotiation, a tie, a hindrance, a compromise for us, is the area of our worship. I hear it many times, and I don't want to be critical, but I hear it many times. In my time, we used to sing hymns. You hear it from the youngsters, what are these hymns about? We like contemporary songs. And perhaps we need to look a little bit deeper than that and say, what is my definition of worship? Do I want to encounter God in such a way 
as I said last Sunday, that I am transformed by this encounter? Or do I want to encounter God on my own terms and in my own limited definition of worship? It wasn't like that with John. He was a human being. Because it's the same John who says, when he's in prison, saying, sends his disciples and says, I knew the Christ, or shall we wait for somebody else? And Jesus sends back to John's disciples and says, well, tell John that the blind are seeing. Miracles are happening. The good news is being preached. But it's this place of saying that, God, my worship to you should be much more marginalized, much more extended than my marginalization of my definition, of, of my knowledge, of, of my limited understanding of what worship is all about. So the application of that is that when we sing that song of Holy Spirit, the flame of fire, come. Do we really mean that? Do we really mean that? Another reality that could compromise our worship is what I've called here the social institutions. In the story of the Samaritan movement, it was the well. Her father Jacob came. Everything that had to do with Jacob, his sons, his herds, his everything servants, up to this day, there was the social institution. This was the place where the whole village came to get water from. What is your social institution? That compromises your worship to God. Last bit is jealousy and animosity. It was very clear between Jews and Samaritans. It was very clear for the lady at the well saying, us and you. It is very easy for us to fall into the trap of piety that we as a church are much better than the church so there is an opportunity that Jesus gives us and again I draw the applications from um, the story Jesus talks about this gift and he's reaching out to her this gift of refreshment this gift that comes directly from the heart of God Jesus is talking about this fresh water that is going to enable not only this woman but you and me to worship him in truth and in spirit. Well, the Bible says in spirit and in truth. In the whole fullness of our spiritual life. In the whole revelation that is given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And that's why I asked the question earlier and raised the challenge. What is your idol? What is my idol? In Romans 20, uh, 1, 21 to 25, it's a very strong verse. And it talks about worship. And it talks about knowing God. And it says, sorry, I missed the last one, but I'll link to this one. It says, although they knew God, they need neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And I'm sure that our attitude here is oh, I don't want to be in that place. God forbid which makes me a very good link to my third point of the previous slide. But Jesus says, the time has come now and is going to be fulfilled in the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21. But the time has come now and you can, you have the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. You have the opportunity to come to this spring of fresh water and be refreshed because you want to encounter God. So, what's the practical of it? Because we don't want to be in the place of Romans 1, 21-23. We want to worship, but we don't. Let's face it. We want to worship. We want to worship God. We want to be that people that we declare God's majesty. But we don't. <clears throat> Unless we go and get refreshed by the living water, we can try with our own efforts. We will never, ever get the desire that we want to encounter God. So are you going to go to the living water and allow Him to refresh you, allow Him to confront you with the truth in order that by that confrontation you can transform and worship him. The offer is there. The spring of the fresh running water is running. Give up the idols. 
Because actually what we do and who we are is determined by our worship. And the last point which has come straight from what I was sharing in the morning is practical. Well, have a look at the idols. Think if there is any other areas. And if there is anything that you need to be repented for, remember, you and I have got an advocate before the Father who is faithful and just that if we confess our sins, he's ready to forgive us and clean us from all our iniquities and clean us from all our idols. <coughs> Who we are and what we do is determined by our worship. Let's pray. Father God, we want to worship We really do not. We want to have that lifestyle of worship. But we want to have that lifestyle of worship that is not energized on our own idol still. But we want for that lifestyle of worship to be energized and fueled and fueled by you, Lord Jesus. So, Holy Spirit, we pray earlier on. Fan that flame in us. Restore us. Show us the areas, Lord. Show us our idols. So we can be done with that. In order for us to focus in worshipping you. Lord, we want to come to the spring this morning because we realise that we want to change from the stagnant water of a well and experience the fresh waters of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we make a stand today that we want to worship you. And we want to help one another, Lord, as part of our covenant, to worship you. So, refresh us, Lord, but use us also to refresh one another by the power of your Spirit. Amen.